Welcome to the Transformation Cafe with your host, Robin Misevich. Transformation Cafe, a weekly half hour of light, topical conversation about health, wellness, happiness, personal growth, spirituality, and other insights. We're glad you're here. Transformation Cafe, a fun place to nourish your soul. Now, let's get started and introduce our diners for tonight's show. Well, hi, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Transformation Cafe. I'm your host, Robin Masevich. And tonight, well, actually tonight and next week, we're going to be going into some really cool topics. And we're going to be talking about the power of poetry. And um, this really kind of all got started. I think uh, some of our followers know that I'm a real fan of Mark Nepo. And for the last three years, um, he has a retreat up at Pine Manor, which is in uh, Lake Elsinore, California, um, usually in April. And um, come to find out, he's going to be having another one this uh, fall. It's going to be happening in early November. So if you guys have any opportunity to, to uh, you know, come on out here, you can come hang out and... Uh, You'll be uh, meeting our one of our guest chefs, Mr. Michael Mejia, is going to be with us tonight. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm just going to bring you on because we're talking about you anyway. Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, love to have love to have you here. And as always, my wonderful co-host, Miss Amy Frost. How are you this evening? I am good. I have something I want to share to get it off my chest. May I share? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Right, right. Roses are red, violets are blue. Have we got a great show for you? There you go. Very nice. Very nice. Well, you know, Michael's going to be trying to lead that up. So we might have a, a poetry off. I don't know. Is there such a thing? <laughs> I think we might have. Yeah, really. Okay, Michael, you go. Okay. I didn't bring any poetry. So that's, thank God for that. I mean, you know, be something different. So I thought it would be really interesting right before we kind of get into this whole conversation with Mike is um, talk about, you know, what is the power of poetry? And I thought just, you know, what's what's it saying online, that kind of thing. And I found a um, a 10-point thing about poetry that was from readbrightly.com. And it actually was put together um, with po- Poetry Month, which I thought was interesting. So uh, just right off the bat, it talks about poetry is play. And it's all about words and having them rhyme or not rhyme, depending on what you have to do. And it also is about freedom, you know, being able to use words. I thought it was real interesting. Shakespeare, um, during the time he was writing, actually created 2,000 new words for the English language. I did not know that. I thought that was very interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And then uh, we're actually going to we're going to make this a part of this segment too. We can go click and kind of look at this whole thing. And then Lewis Carroll, of course, he was the inventor of the Jabberwocky. You came up with that name. So that's something that's a part of our culture as well. And then music is just like with anything else, you know, it's so wonderful to have poetry thinking of uh, how we turn it into songs. And even the words themselves have these rhythms. And Michael's really wonderful with that. The way he puts this stuff together is just, you just get this sense of this, this wave that kind of takes you in and out and, and just giving all this different meaning to things that I think is just going to be really wonderful. And Mike will be reading up, reading some poems tonight. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And then it also teaches us patience because one thing they talk about with poetry is that a true poet just doesn't write it and it's done. It's a write and then it's a rewrite and then it's a write and it's a rewrite. So it could take up to months to actually, you know, have it be what you want. And one of the examples of that was a haiku. And a haiku, I think, only has like nine words or something like that that goes in that. So we might have to look that one up. And then poetries help us to remember. And I think this is this is an interesting fact. It said that Plato thought that writing was too much of new technology and that it was weakening the minds of the youth because they were not having to remember everything within themselves. They were actually being able to write it down so they, they weren't remembering things. 
So I thought that was interesting about Plato. It kind of sounds like current day stuff, depending on when you want to talk about with technology. But it also helps yeah. us to remember history and religion and philosophies and just different ways that poems have been putting out there. You know, I think for whatever reason, I think of, uh, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. I mean, you know, we make it into a poem so we can remember. So that's always kind of good. But the, these last last ones, I think, is really what we're going to talk about tonight. Because one thing they say that's really powerful about poetry is that it helps us to find our inner voice. And that it also helps to lead us into positive ways that we can be sharing our feelings. And then it also helps to have, and having a love of poetry, it helps us to, um, to really encourage the processes of our, you know, where we are with things and being able to express that into, into a poem or into the writing that we're doing. And it also encourages us where, with exploration of being able to just take a window into a thought or a feeling and see where it's going to carry us. And I think it's really just that much of having us being able to express the soul and the wisdom that, that we carry within ourselves. And why I really wanted to just, welcome you with that mr mr mike and then uh, just you know with all that what it what anything that came up for you while i was reading that list of just different things that but poetry really in the ways that it is powerful yeah absolutely well that was all beautiful you you said you didn't have a poem um but i felt like that you just that was a poem you became the poem that was beautiful that was a great introduction oh thank you yeah i love that for for me uh what really resonated uh, was, yeah, like kind of like a roadmap, um, going over and understanding the history and concepts of different, uh, things that have taken place. Um, and then absolutely the voice of the soul. So for me, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like, uh, the poetry has been extremely cathartic in my journey because for a long time, my vo- voice was silenced. And, uh, you know, I started writing poetry when I was in fourth grade. And, um, and the very first poem I wrote was for, I believe it was Mother's Day. And my, my fourth grade teacher, um, you know, kind of just said, everyone, you know, I want you guys to write something for your mothers. So I wrote a poem and the, the very next day, I think we got him back because she was going to correct him. So then we could turn him into a card. And, uh, she, she came up to me and she, I, I thought I was in trouble because she had like a really serious, stern look on her face. And so she was approaching my desk, and when I was younger, I, I was a lot, a lot quieter, and I was shy, so I was getting really nervous. And um, she walked up to me, and she had uh, the paper in her hand, and she said, "Michael, you're a poet." Mm. And um, I remember the the poem was about my mother, and I was comparing her metaphorically to a rose, and how beautiful she was, and yet like the death of her sister, I compared it to like a thorn. And how, like, it, you know, it, it had hardened parts or aspects of that rose, yet how the rose was still beautiful if you looked closely, um, that it was profound and it, and it still blossomed and light, light still reflected off of its petals. And so my teacher said, you're a poet. And at that point in time, I, I didn't understand what that meant. I was just like, oh, okay. And I went home and I said, hey, mom, dad, I guess I'm a poet. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, they were like, I "Yippee!" Like, I, I guess my uh, my dreams to be a professional athlete ended that day. <laughs> but uh, so I ended up, yeah, so I ended up, I ended up carrying a journal with me and continuing to write poetry up until I was 18 years old. And um, and then you know, I I ended up, you know, I was harboring a secret, and that was that I, I hadn't come out to my family. And uh, that was a long journey. And so I ended up getting uh, writer's block 
which lasted mm. for 10 years. So wow. I can, so from fourth grade till 18, 19 years old, I was writing and it was fluid and it just was coming through me. And uh, little by little, as, as I came into contact with this aspect of myself that I wasn't willing to integrate and I was trying my best to kind of, you know, overcome, I, I was really, you know, conditioned uh, religiously and culturally. So for me, um, it took me a long time. And so I lost my ability to, to connect and write. So after a year of writer's block, I put my journal away. And uh, it would be 10 years before I'd write again. And it was uh, after I had a head injury, actually. And I was bedridden, which gave me a lot of time to just lay there. And all I had was myself and my thoughts and the different emotions that had accumulated throughout time. Everything I had denied and everything I wouldn't face, that's all I had left. I was just a collection of pain. And so I ended up... um, I ended up just moving through that and crying and filling it. And um, the very first poem came to me uh, about a year and a half of uh, of being in bed. And at three in the morning, I woke up and I wrote the first poem I wrote in 10 years. And it journeyed from the moment of perception that, oh, this thing that is a part of who I am isn't accepted by the world. And so the poem came, four-page chronicle. First poem I wrote, and after that, everything started opening back up. The channel started opening back up. And since then, I've been writing three to four poems a week for the last year and a half. So I'm, I'm really thankful. So so that last part you said spoke directly to me, to my journey, to everything I know. And that, that it, it definitely helped give me my voice back. I found it in the poetry. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So do you have your first poem that you wrote? And you, I think do you have, because I think when, when we were planning the show, I, I asked Mike that. I said, you know, how did you get started? And he says, oh, I still have my first poem. So do you want to go ahead and read that to us? You know, I, yeah. I don't have the, the first poem on me, but I do have one in front of me right now that actually goes, okay. I think it, it kind of fits in perfectly. And it's called The I Am. And just a, a quick little intro on this is, when the equal rights decision came out and everything was transpiring, I still hadn't come out to all my family and friends. And I remember a lot of people that I loved were saying, the world isn't ready for this. The world isn't ready to see different people and the different ways they love. And I remember that just really like hit me really hard. And so that the world isn't ready, it triggered something. And this poem came and it's called The I Am. So, and what would become of the balance to life if the sun told the moon its light was a lie? What if the ocean told the wave to hide? Or what if the stars were cast out by an egoic sky? What if day refused to fade into night? And what if death denied immortality by claiming birth as its child? What would become of the bird who was told to swim or the fish who was told to fly? What would become of the white tiger who fights for his life as you deny the beauty of his divinity and the black bleeds from the soul of his stripes? What if the snake lost its tongue or the eagle her eyes? I need you to whisper to your heart before you speak. It is out of silence that eternal wisdom flows. For the one who says 
the world isn't ready for you is a soul that has been harvested by the thief of truth. For outside the mind of time, there lives a tale of water to wine. Before the death of the Christ, the voidless night, or the voice of God who said, let there be light. Where you are, you will find me. This is where I wait for you. Where you hide from yourself, this is where I am. So, yeah, that's um, the I am. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, to me, you could just take each stanza of that and just talk about it. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, Ra- Michael and I get together with some other friends and like, we do that. So it takes like three and a half hours to have like a meal because we're doing things yeah. like that. So but I think that's just wonderful. But that's just really cool. I would love for you to share about your dad. He was sharing this story the other day about, because that's one of the challenges. Well, just kind of tell him about what happened with you with you when know, how your dad was helping you with your math. I think that's an interesting aspect of, of you know, how you've developed your, your sense of yourself and who you've really kind of been knowing that you are a poet and kind of coming into the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm really lucky because um, both of my parents are really amazing and they've been a big part of my journey and they've always supported me as well as my, my sisters. And um, and then, of course, Rudy, my adopted brother. And um, so my parents have always just worked really well together. And they are the sun and the moon. Like, they are completely opposite mm-hmm. to the antithesis of each other. But um, it was really powerful because they just really wanted us. And when I say us, I mean myself and my two sisters. They wanted us to find what we came into the world with. And they wouldn't get in the way of that. And they never really voiced that. It was more through actions that we kind of just unconsciously started to understand that. So when I was really young, I mean, to this day, I am still not a numbers person. So I've never been good at math. And I mean, now I can finally admit that I only got to basic math. And that was a struggle. And so when I was younger, uh, I just wasn't uh, wired that way. So I mean, I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get numbers. And my father would always sit there with me at the dinner table. And uh, I would just get, he's, um, I, I'm more like, I'm half my mother and father. So I have a little bit of that type A. I could be introspective, but I could also be fiery. And my dad's really laid back. So I would get really overwhelmed because I just was not understanding the curriculum. So I would like get to a point where I would roll up the paper and throw it across the room and throw my pencil on like this little third, fourth, fifth grader. And my father wouldn't even blink. He would just sit there and he would just kind of stare at me. And, and then after a couple of minutes, he'd say, all right, okay, son, are you ready to try again? And then I'd get even more frustrated because I'd be like, why aren't you frustrated? <laughs> he wouldn't show any sense of frustration. And he said, you know what? I don't think that you're meant to work with numbers it doesn't seem like that's something that, you know, you were gifted. However, all I want you to learn from this experience is to, to give it your best, to work hard, and let's just journey together and see what we can make of it. Let's, let's, just, let's just give it your all. And he said, I have a feeling that you're, you're going to write. I think you're going to write and you're going to communicate, and I think that's what you're meant to do. And, and that was really powerful because now reflecting back, I kind of look back at what was happening around me with, you know, whether it was friends or family. And, and you know, a lot of people were, were conditioned to, you know, like 
get straight A's or to, you know, formulate certain opinions or ideas or adopt the philosophies of those who came before us. And they were really big on teaching me how to listen to myself and to learn how to tap into that. And so because of that, uh, I was able to kind of just give it my best, do the best I could and kind of let the math thing go. And so I never became attached to it. I never, I really disidentified with this concept of like, I'm not intelligent because I'm not in calculus like my cousin or, you know, my sister was really good at math. And, but so I never had an attachment. So I kind of just was able to move through the energy of that experience a lot sooner and really get to the writing and focus on it and harness its power and connect with the spirit of poetry. So I, I was really thankful. And now, I mean, it, it means a lot more now that I'm older because I'm like, wow, like I think that took a lot of mindfulness and presence on both of my parents' parts because my mom was the same way to just really let me find myself and to not, you know, try to turn me into something I wasn't. So I was really thankful for that. Wow, yeah, that's just such a yeah. Go ahead, Amy. You haven't had you haven't had a chance to really kind of jump in here, so I'd love for you to kind of interact with us a little bit. Well, and I think wow, that's amazing, and I want to honor your parents for being so wise as to to have the courage to let you unfold with who you are and how you needed to express yourself. Very few people get that opportunity, and I think that's one of the things that I would love to have come out of this show is that people understanding that people do communicate in different ways and even have different kinds of poetry and nurturing the poet in each of us, even though it may not look like the poetry you think you're supposed to have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that a part of that's conveyed in the I Am, the poem I just read, Mm -hmm. when I'm talking about what would become of the fish who was told to fly or the bird who was told to swim, like that concept of, like we are all so intricately connected and we were all planted with something inside of us before we came into this world. And, and to be able to honor that and to find it. And, uh, and, and I know that when I look around, you know, like one of my best friends, he's an artist and my mom and my sister review books and my dad's very philosophical and my sister's a great communicator. And, so it's just kind of like when you look at, at like all these different vessels, and I think ultimately we're all vessels for the same source, which is love that's trying to run through us and trying to convey the same message of interconnectedness and redemption. And the more clear we get and the more in tune we are with ourselves, I think the the more we're able to listen and, and then the more we're able to create because we kind of are anchored and living and breathing from that one space that connects us right underneath the breath, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. I want to make sure that we talk about, it was kind of fun because um, when Mike, Mike and I started talking about putting the show together, gosh, we've been talking about it for, I think at least a month. There was a really great episode from NPR that talked about a young man that was from Iran that winded up writing this poem that was about the bomb that visited me, visited my parents' home, you know, 10 years ago. And we're going to go ahead and have that as a part of the, you know, just this episode, if you want to go back and check that out. But what I thought was really interesting about him is there's so many, I actually shared that with Mike, and we were both really blown away by the the way that it's it's just being able to share this experience. And it's just, it's my story, and it's my truth. 
And I think that's just what we're talking about here when it comes to the power of poetry, being able to walk through something. I mean, he had a dead bomb that actually came through the, his family's house and ripped through some walls and just all kinds of stuff. And they wound up moving away from that, uh, the bit, the house and, and actually Iraq. They wound up ultimately coming to America. But the thing that really I think is amazing is this being able to use poetry as something that can be such a healing element for people just to honor their voice and honor their, honor their stories. So I really want to honor Mike. I want to honor, you know, Ahmed, you know, for, for their courage and being able to, to put their voice out there and just the fact that it's something that they have to do. And I really love that, Mike, that, you know, you know, you have to write it and it's not like something, it's like breathing, you know, you have to, you have to write and you have to be expressing yourself. So it's just a, such a great celebration of being able to have that you put it down there. So, so I'm, you know, like I said, we're going to have a couple different shows talking about this. And our next show is going to be really interesting because we're going to talk about, you know, being able to embrace the wisdom of connection and uh, kind of getting into the intuitive stuff that really goes on when you're working with poetry and working with poems. And, you know, they're like medicine. They're like a way of being able to express things that you're feeling and doing. And like it's, you know, it said with the top 10 here, you know, being able to find that inner voice and have it come out in a positive way. And I'm really excited. We'll be having a couple more uh, uh, friends of uh, Mike's on here. Miss Marsha will be coming on and um, Vanessa will be coming to join us as well. So I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation with Amy here as well. We'll, we'll definitely have a a cafe conversation, which we just, that's what we love and just love to do, get that all going with everything. So I, I'd love for you to share another poem. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to share uh, the last stanza of uh, the poem. So this is the poem that I wrote after 10 years. Uh, it's four pages, so I'm just going to read one stanza. And, and, and it, it actually ties in with what you just said perfectly because I remember when um so i was sleeping one night and i woke up at three in the morning and uh so i have uh different processes and one of them is i retrieve the poetry audibly so sometimes i just hear things that wake me up out of my sleep and uh, that's how this poem came through and uh, i heard the lines um that we all fear the anonymity of our own being and the ambiguity of existence so that's how this poem started formulating and so uh, this is the last stanza, and the poem is uh, untitled, A Journey Beyond Labor. If there is anything in this world that you censure, let it be the attachments of your mind that have plagued your heart, your soul, and encapsulated you from filling your divinity as well as your placement in the orchestra of eternity. So ask not whom I love, or who can bring my heart's beat to a dance or to a rest. But ask me who I am, so your slumber may end. I am the sky that irrigates this creation. I am the wave that crashes into the rock, which echoes back to you the sound of your being, yearning to wake your remembrance. I am the sun that irradiates all worlds throughout all of space, birth, outside of time and space. I am the moon whose luminosity plants seeds of peace in your heart. I am the stars that burn, flicker, and shine while alive, that are seen and felt long after death. I am you, and we are eternity. So that was, um, yeah, the last part of that poem. And I guess, like, for me, um, the poem was really 
it was cathartic, but it was also uh, kind of in a sense, like you said, when, when something's created and in the poem has a spirit of its own, it's alive, it's conscious. And so when the poems started coming through, it was really funny because the poem holds more wisdom than I do, right? Than the, the Michael, the self. And so when the poem came through, it was funny because I could see the war between, like the duality between my spirit, right? And what was beginning to birth itself again and what was emerging from the ashes of oppression. Um, and it was combating the conditioned, uh, res- you know, responsive, uh, reactive, Michael. And so I was really nervous because when the poem was writing itself, all of a sudden I, I realized, wow, when this poem is complete, I am meant to release it into the world. And at that point, I will have to come out to all my family and friends. So it ended up becoming a four-day process just because it was such an emotional release and I was, I was just purging and clearing so much energy that I had accumulated uh, along the way. So once the poem was complete, it was really powerful because I was surrounded by the people that have loved me and just protected my heart. Um, so my parents and my siblings and my best friend, and um, we, they were all hugging me and holding me. And then I pressed post on Facebook. And, mm. uh, but, but what was really important for me is throughout, and, you know, I'll give you a link so the whole poem could uh, be displayed on Transformation Cafe. But what was powerful for me was it was so much greater and so much bigger than me or a coming out story because as the poem, as you move through it, it's basically talking about uh, duality and how uh, we are all conditioned by the mind and how we've lost the texture of the soul and how we've lost communion and how to move and function from that intuitive space. So I remember I didn't use any, uh, you know, specific, I didn't want any specific words. I wanted to open up a new conversation and I wanted to show how we were all closeted because mm-hmm. we all forgot how intricately connected we all are. So it kind of moved down. So the last stanza kind of captures it all. And, you know, we're remembering we are everything. We are the stars. We're the, the moon. We're each other. And so it, it was, you know, it started off as me liberating myself, but then it turns into how the soul liberates itself and how it remembers again. So I remember distinctly, like, I want this poem to be bigger than me, or it's not mine, it's, it's everyone's. You know, we're all masked, you know, we all hold parts of ourselves back, and we've all lost parts of ourselves. Who lives in our hearts? Who lives in our mind? You know, what parts of us have we lost access to? And so it's kind of like teaching us how to go back inside and reconcile, you know, energetically to transmute those experiences, whether it's through forgiveness or whether it's through love or empathy, you know, um, kind of just teaching us how to remember who we are. And uh, because for me, I had become so heavily identified with guilt and shame and that I actually didn't know myself aside from those, those two emotions, which were energy. And I didn't realize how much of it lived inside of me until 
it was coming out of my eyes as tears for a year and a half, you know? So it's, I really like how the poem, you know, kind of moves into uh, nature and uses it as a metaphor, but it's also literal because we're stardust, you know? So that, that's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it means a lot to me, that poem. Uh, you and, had those and powerful then, waves that were washing you clean, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking to, because something came up for me when, when you were talking about, which thank you so much for sending me, um, you know, that poem by that young man from, it was from Iraq, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so what what spoke to me about that is I wanted to tell you, you both a quick story. Is When I was in college, I went to Santa Monica, and um, there was this young man, and he, him and his, uh, the, his family members fled from Iraq, and it was during the Operation Iraqi Freedom. And mm-hmm. we had to present certain projects, and he went up there, and he told his story about how his family, uh, how his, his grandparents, his cousins, his best friend, everyone died in Iraq during the war. Mm. And it was, um, you know, and the entire classroom was in tears. And I remember that was one of my first experiences with really going deeper into myself and coming back in touch with the empathy and compassion that I believe that we all possess that's innate for us. And I remember I was just crying. I couldn't even breathe. And he was crying and and he was just kind of teaching us how, you know, the difference between perception and reality. He was like, you know, there was nothing liberating about watching everyone I loved die. There was nothing freeing about that, you know? And I remember it just completely gave me another angle and it taught me how to become a little more multidimensional. So when you sent me that poem, that story came to my mind and all those feelings came rushing back to the surface. And um, what I think that, um, I forgot uh, the the author, but what I think he um, conveyed so beautifully was it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by Rumi. Out there beyond wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And I think he really conveys that because he makes forgiveness with his experience in that poem. And he kind of, uh, you know, shows how the bomb in itself is neutral. And he kind of brings in like this. I mean, for me, how I interpreted it was he brings in this sense of how everything is connected and everything happens for a reason and, and how beyond wrong and right, what came from it and who he's becoming and, how now his poetry is starting to introduce the world to these these long held concepts that have been hidden, which is we we are all each other. We, like Mark Nepo always says, Robin, we are them, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that that really resonated with it. Yeah, I loved uh, because it really what it would remind me. Just really saying, you know, saying to me about you know, it's the journey beyond the labeling. And the journey about, you know, just like, you know, just the, like you're saying, the level of compassion and just like, you know, when when having those kinds of things happen, it, it kind of takes your breath away in a way that it has a wonder about it. You know, I'm, I've got this wonder about that kind of experience and having it be that. So kind of go back to that story for just a little bit. His name is Ahmed uh, Bad, Badr. I hope I'm saying it right. And um, he actually has a Facebook page that's called Nareto. 
And it's actually a place where people can come. He's really encouraging younger people to be expressing themselves through poetry, through writing, through art, all different kinds of things. He actually is the curator of that site and chooses what's what's on there. But the whole idea is being able to have self-expression and being valued for your story and who you are. And they were saying in the in the piece from NPR that the United Nations had contacted him and they were encouraging him to be creating a place where um, young people who are refugees being able to tell their story. So it's just this really healing experience. And that's I think that's something about the poem too was that the poem that that the bomb, you know, didn't take his life, it actually gave him life. And I think that's one of the things that's really a wonder about that, of being able to have that unique perspective, because he, he really, he really wrote that poem, but from the, from the bomb's perspective. So again, we're going to go ahead and have that at the transformation-cafe.com. And we'll, um, have that as part of this episode. So you can go ahead and click and actually listen to that NPR, um, episode that they had. So just really, really powerful. So what's next for Mike? I mean, what's going on with your writing and, uh, do you have any events or anything that are coming up? Yeah. Well, First of all, thank you for this. This is amazing. Amy, thank you. I can't wait to meet you in person. And um, yeah, so for me right now, um, I have about four events coming up. I'm going to be featured at my first showcase at Sundapple, which is in Claremont, California, July 30th from 6 to 9 p.m. And I'm really excited about that. I'm going to also, uh, I'm going to be sharing the stage with two local artists. My, one of my really good friends, his name is Stax, and he writes his own music and he plays, uh, he plays multiple instruments and he, he really is just uh, a lyricist and he's a poet in himself. And then, um, my friend Ron and he's a beautiful, uh, soulful singer. And I actually, uh, I just, my two sisters, well, they're not my real, they're my soul sisters, Marsha and Vanessa. They're hosting me. And the reason I chose to make that my first showcase is because Sundapple, is a beautiful boutique antique store and it has high levels of energy. But I went there and I, I watched another artist perform and I remember I was just really touched and deepened because there were the inclusiveness. I walked in and just energetically it was like there was I think we talked about this the other day, there was like a, a, a portal, a vortex had opened up in their space and there was so much love and I could feel without words I could feel the inclusiveness. So um, they, uh, Vanessa reached out to me about a week and a half ago, and we booked my first showcase. So I'm excited about that. And then Saturday, August 12th at 6 p.m. in uh, Claremont at Innerworks Studio. Uh, that's uh, where they um, practice kundalini yoga. They're going to have a, a free kundalini class and then showcase my poetry right after. So we want to introduce people to yoga and energy and how energy, you know, everything's energy, thought emotion and how it kind of accumulates and it gets stuck and how we kind of have to move through that in order to breathe again. So that's my next event. And then I just touched base with Gail Warner, um, you know, right before I talked to you from Pine Manor. So I also, uh, to be announced, but I um, am booking a showcase at Pine Manor, which I'm extremely excited about because that's where everything started for both you and I, as far as, you know, this and uh, the conversation of poetry. And then also Feeling Groovy. I'm going to book a showcase there. So that one's also to be announced. And um, and then I just have a couple of things getting ready to, you know, po- individual poems getting ready to get published. So keep an eye out for that. And then hopefully, you know, we'll do our second part of this show, which was, is super exciting. And 
Uh-huh. And that's, that's what's up for me. Yeah, you're definitely going to want to be uh, checking in this next week on the 18th. We're going to have that. It's going to be a great part one, part two on this whole thing with poetry. I think one thing we're going to talk about is, you know, just the whole concept of fake news that's going on now just on the planet about, you know, just these different things that are happening and how that will really look from a poet, a poet's perspective and really kind of leaning in and looking at that from uh, just a very spiritual perspective. We'll have a lot of lovely, um, you know, uh, cafe uh cafe diners that night and i think it's going to be really really wonderful um back with sundapple i do i do want to uh, promote miss marcia she said that she was going to go ahead and be doing some dancing so <laughs> if anybody wants to come and see marcia dance she'll be at sundapple with you when you're doing your poetry and having that wonderful music night so i plan on attending that as, as well so it's just going to be a great evening so yeah well okay so then I I'll dance too. who knows yeah that was going to be a surprise but since we, oh, well, okay. Well, Robin, 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 Robin took the cat out of the, the bag, bag on, on that one. one. <laughs> no, it's all right. I like it. I love it. Authentic. Beautiful. Okay. I, so, so what we're doing, and so I'll just let everyone know now, uh, is okay. we're going to bring in a surprise flute player. And mm. I'm going to recite one of Rumi's poems. Oh, and nice. while I'm reciting this poem, we're going to be... Uh, having interpretive dance by the Miss Beautiful Marcia, my beautiful sister. And we're mm-hmm. going to be accompanied by this brilliant flute player. And so it's going to be a really transcendental experience. But yeah, I'm really excited about that. And you know, I mean, Marcia is light, right? She's just, so I, I can't wait for her to take the spirit of the poetry and bring it alive through dance. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. about the flute player. I think that, you know, for me, sound, energy, vibration is everything. And uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to just be really beautiful. And I really hope that everyone tunes in and everyone comes. And I can't wait to share that night with you, Robin. And Amy, yeah, make a, make a trip down. Amy, come spend the night with us uh, on the 30th. <laughs> I just might. And you guys all have to come to Vegas. So I have a quick question for you, Mike. Yeah. Did you go to yes. the University of Santa Monica? Have I heard of it? Have you gone to it? Did you go to it? You know, so I went to Santa Monica Junior College, but I actually did go to USM for like a, an orientation right before my head injury. That was my, my plan was to go there. And uh, I wanted, when I transferred, I wanted to get my master's there, but it didn't end up, it didn't end up happening, but I have been there. The energy was great. I loved it. And um, you never well, know. I have, my ma- I, have, I have a master's from there. Oh, you do? That, yeah. That's amazing. I'm connected to a few people. Uh, my my volleyball coach at Santa Monica, I play volleyball uh, collegiately, and my assistant coach, Diraj, and his beautiful wife, they both attended and graduated USM. So they're the ones that told me about it, and that's why I went to the orientation. And, man, now you and I are going to have to have a whole conversation about that because I was really blown away by That's another show. You, yeah. Yeah, did you attend there, or, or did you do it online? No, I. Oh, yeah, I'm in person. I don't believe in doing the online thing with something like that. That's great. All right. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about that. I look forward okay, to it. I went from it. like I said, that's going to be another show. <laughs> I went from building missiles to doing that. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So, um, anything else, Amy, that's coming up for you? With um, just gosh, this has been such a really great topic and show i look forward to next week yeah and i want people to be open to what poetry is like like, you know really quickly i used to do a lot of work with cancer patients at the city of of hope and one of the things that we did was we had people create 
healing haikus. And we can talk more about that another time. But it would really ha- help them to kind of, whatever area they were looking at in their healing, put it together in, in a, you know, small form, which is a huge form. And um, and how we use poetry in book titles, even, has come to me. So mm-hmm. I just yeah. use poetry in many forms that we may not look at traditionally as poetry. So I look forward to discovering that. Uh, yeah, because I, I really think poetry is music. It, you know, it's and you know one thing I really want to make sure that we talk about. You know, it's 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 everyone being able to like it, like you know having that voice that you really can feel like you can put out in the world. And you know, once the the first step is having the awareness that it's there and being able to nurture that and and heal those areas of yourself that are really being called to just come out and being able to you know bring them out into light so they can really you know be in a place where people other people can appreciate them and feel good about it. You know, and then it's it's being able to embrace that transformation that can really come full circle for someone when they're being able to let go of those, you know, journey beyond the labels and being able to just lean into the things that are being called to you. So, you know, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, get out a piece of paper and start writing something down. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Keep, it, keep a journal. Yeah, good. Yeah, keep a journal by your bed. Well, we've talked before about dream journals. So, I, you know, has that ever come up to you where you've got any kind of a, a dream, you know, some kind of a dream that really woke you up, Mike? That you wanted up turning oh. it into a poem? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm real big on dreams. I, I've been keeping a dream journal for the last probably like three years. So I, yeah, okay. I, I think dreams. So do you have another poem you'd like to share before we're done? Oh, uh, let me see here. Yeah, Roses are red. Uh, <laughs> that's one of my favorite. Yes. So this poem uh, is called. Breathe. Mm. I've replaced belief with the experience of living. Both Grace and I had met at the top of the mountain, and it was there, through the soul, that an endlessness would birth an eternal knowing. My relationship with the unknown would melt the pain felt and carried by the young boy who once was cast at the center of the sea, chained by fear into a methodical dance where both eternity and I would fade back into one. So why wait for a symphony to lead you into the sky when you can become the music that breathes new life? For the resurrection of truth is to become you. It is there that you shall become the stars, become the poem, and as they read you walk through life, know that you hold the key to a deathless life. Now, become the night. Breathe as the night. Breathe until you become the light of day. Breathe hope into the heart that has become an abscess to the body and an abyss for the dark. Breathe and face yourself. Allow yourself to feel the depth of pain that lives inside of you. Breathe until you no longer fear death. Breathe until both death and life become a myth, a story actualizing itself through the narration of immeasurability. Breathe until you feel the echo of the unending pulse descend back into being. Breathe until the only thing that is left is love. I'll take a deep breath. Wow. I know, right? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for joining us. I look forward to next week. It's going to be awesome. Thank, 
Thank you, Robin. Thank and you, it's... Amy, for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a, a great conversation, and I can't wait to do it again. All right. Until next week. And thank you, Miss Amy. And we will see you next time here at the cafe. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Transformation Cafe podcast. To learn more, visit transformation-cafe.com for show notes, guest information, and links to previous shows. You can also subscribe to the Transformation Cafe podcast on iTunes. Join us again next time at the Transformation Cafe, a fun place to nourish your soul.